Good luck, buddy. now listening to enter vr the podcast on all things virtual reality i'm your host chris miranda and today i'm joined by evan young evan um you are who evan let's 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 start with that who are you sir (laughs) (laughs) hi everybody thank you for listening my name is evan young i am the uh, co-founder and coo of uh, radio 3d i've also uh, been a co-founder of uh, vrchive.com as well and I've known Chris for a couple of years now, and we've explored many VR things together in real life as well as in VR, actually. So good to, good to be on the show. Um, and it's, I'm happy to have you on the show again, Evan. Um, I, so for those listening, this is the second recording we're having. Our, our first recording, I, I like to say that the simulation didn't want it to happen. Um, <laughs> we had it live. You came to my it's house. It's a good last time. And we had a good time. But, uh, but this time is going to be... Even better, and I'm excited for our conversation. So let's get it started, dude. Let's talk about radio. So it's called Radio 3D. Yes, like uh, radiology says R A D I A L 3D. Okay. Some people get it confused with like radio, like you turn on the radio in your car. Uh, but yeah, don't 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 mistake it for that. <laughs> okay, I got it. I had it confused for a second for Radio G for the the game on 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 uh, the uh, VR game, but um, Radio 3D. Completely different than Radio G, and what are you guys up to? <laughs> what do you what do you, what is it that you guys do? Yeah, so right now we're building a web-based uh, VR platform that allows you to upload your medical scans, such as a, like a CT scan or an MRI scan. It's typically, if you've broken a bone or if you're about to get any kind of procedure, any kind of really standard checkup, you've probably gotten an MRI scan or a CT scan done in your life some point in your life. Now they're very very common. And so basically what we do is we work with those, that raw file that comes straight from the MRI machine. And we upload that file kind of like in a Dropbox kind of style on our website. And you can view it in uh, 3D using our scientific kind of visualization tools. And from there, it's kind of like your, your Google Drive, but built for medical imaging. So you can share access to your medical scan just using a simple link. And from there, you can also edit it together in real time. So you can take notes on it, you can slice through the model, and you can also even like save it in that state and get really quick second opinions or just if you want to just share it to really anyone in the world really you want. As long as they have internet, they now have access to your medical scan. It's kind of an interesting uh, play on two things. The one is the medical scan data is actually very, very, very valuable, actually. it's um, People have told me that your medical history is actually more valuable than your social security number or any other kind of, you know, private information you wouldn't want to have. So it's this is kind of a very new industry kind of shaking thing where people actually want other people to see the medical scans because they want that second opinion. They want to 
and people to look at like, hey, this is this is my scan. Of course, there's sensitive information that, that we strip off before we upload it to the web, so it doesn't get, you know, you don't get hacked or anything like that physically. <laughs> and from there, um, you can view it. And right now, we're only having working it in the ZSpace. But if you're not familiar with ZSpace, it's this very large kind of 3D desktop, in short, where it makes you look through kind of like a vin- like a window into a virtual world. And we're also working on Holland support now, um, but that's all in Unity as well. Very cool. Are you guys planning to support the VR headsets? Yeah, we we have actually like I mean, we have like we have Rift right now. We are getting a Vive very soon. Hololens is probably the first official kind of headset we'll support, mainly because a lot of the uh, the doctors and the surgeons we've talked to have been the most responsive. And they like that, you know, because they can still see their hands. As a surgeon, it's kind of important for you to see your hands. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah we'll probably go how first. <laughs> for sure. So t- talk to me more about the use cases and who are the people who use it the most. Um, yeah, let's, 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 I'm curious to know about, like, you know, the, the more, like, practical examples of the technology. Yeah, Sure. So right now we're working on the Johnny Burns School of Medicine at the University of Hawaii. So for those of you that don't know me, I'm actually born and raised in Hawaii, actually in Hawaii right now, which is why we're on Skype and I'm not with Chris in person. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, we're, we're working with the medical school at the University of Hawaii now. They're our main um, customers and use cases and testers and kind of like our guinea pigs in this project uh, where we really work like right across the hall from all the medicines. So whenever we have a bill, we can just give it to them. It's like, hey. Go test it. You'll get extra credit. Good job, kids. Oh, <laughs> so nice. they're very much our guinea pigs. <laughs> That's awesome. And, uh, yeah, yeah. We get a lot of good feedback. Uh, we actually have a um, are showing a ninety percent kind of correlation rate where it's showing that it's improving their test scores, and it's actually helping them really um, just kind of help them understand things faster. So typically, when you're you know a med student, it's a very overwhelming process. Like if you ever gone through med school, you probably remember it as like the most grueling years of your life almost <laughs> where you study super, super hard. And, you know, everyone knows that, you know, med school is probably one of the hardest things in the world to do is, you know, cause becoming a doctor and operating on real life people. So you want them to be smart after that with med school. <laughs> so we push them really hard. And, uh, one of the, one of the feedback we're getting from students is that it's actually helping them just as soon as they, you know, are looking at a anatomical structure, they immediately know what they're looking at because they've seen this before using our software because it's actually the, um, so they usually operate on cadavers, you know, the actual real-life specimens. Uh, but typically, they don't get that much time with the actual cadavers themselves. So when they open up the cadaver, they have to figure out, like, okay, what the heck am I looking at? And they have to just kind of figure out, like, where they are in a sense. But if they already have the MRI scan and they've been slicing through the actual model itself on their phone or on their computer uh, from home, they can get very familiar with the model before they even step foot into the lab. So that helps them save a ton of time of just kind of getting to that mindset of where exactly am I in the body and what is the problem we're trying to solve. That's crazy. And to think that, you know, people are using 2D tools to visualize 3D objects today. (laughs) Um, Oh, yeah, exactly. And as you know, our bodies are 3D. We are 3D creatures. So (laughs) kind of hard to study 3D creatures in 2D. Yeah, no, I've always, it was always a trip for me, like just trying to, uh, like just studying biology and like the biology books would try to, would show you what a cell looks like. But really, does that, is it really how it looks like? Or is this (laughs) the the best representation you can provide me, which is a shitty representation just because the medium isn't designed to 
really uh, help you understand the, the volumetric complexities of what you're trying to study. So I'm definitely exactly. excited about this. And what do you think about other use cases besides students? Um, Real-life doctors, perhaps, or other? Uh, yeah. Yeah, we definitely want to go towards the uh, the clinical usage. Uh, for that, we have to go through the regulations of getting our 510K. But for us, you know, we're not a, a drug or like an actual physical medical device. So it's much faster, thankfully, <laughs> than going through an FDA usually. Our process is only about nine months. So uh, we're expecting to have a clinical grade ready product within the next year. So 2018 is going to be a pretty big year for us where we will be gearing up for that. But essentially, the tools will be kind of like um, for kind of like Adobe or um, any other kind of tool that you're, you know, you, they, give, they give it to you at the education level. It's fairly cheap at the education level, but you, you get used to the tool. And when you graduate from school, you want to take it to your next job or your next company, and you want to use it there. So we're, we're trying really trying to provide them the full kind of suite of service throughout their entire careers, starting at the education and then following them to wherever they go, wherever they're hospital or clinic they want to work at afterwards <laughs> so walk me through the business model uh, what do i have to do if i in 2018 am a med student or i'm a med school director and i want to get a hold of radial 3d software products services the whole shebang yeah sure so uh our, we're actually in private beta right now so if you go to radio3d.com you can sign up for the private beta and we'll be giving out those invite codes actually really soon so if you want to get a code and be one of the first people in the world to try out Radio 3D, you can drop your email on our website. And we'll also be probably reworking our website to show a lot more of the subscription aspects. So we are a SaaS platform. Uh, it's all going to be totally on the web. Just go online, click pay monthly, and you're good. Just like Netflix or anything else, you're pretty much good for the year or however many months you want to use our service. And right now, our, our pilots will be actually extremely cheap. So it's a pretty pretty Dang good deal if you get in early. And a lot of us um, are providing a lot of really big updates that will come with your subscription as well, so there's no like additional add-ons in the first instance. And right now, we're actually looking at a platform where the storage is, of course, a big component of it. So we are kind of like your Dropbox for your medical scans, uh, just to be in short. And But also, uh, we're launching with tools of slicing as well as annotations as well as DSpace support. So if you have a DSpace out there, you're really excited because it's all running in the browser on DSpace as well. So I know a lot of the apps on DSpace are native apps, and it's actually a really big thing for DSpace now is actually moving away from native apps and really focusing on web because that's what they see, that's what the users want, and so it drives the platforms, and their, their app store is probably not the easiest thing to work with. <laughs> so it's going to be exciting to have this on the web and it's going to be exciting to have this on ZSpace and it's going to be pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. Um, so talk to me more about how you guys plan to improve the service in the future. Like what do the updates, you know, six months, six months, six months in a year in, uh, you know, 18 months in, what, do, what, do, what do those updates look like? Yeah. Um, we're really focused on the collaboration aspect of our software. So, I might mention this earlier, but it's kind of like, like Google Docs for medical imaging, where as soon as I make a change on my screen, um, you know, in my kind of view, you can immediately see it on your screen from your view as well. So we can very much easily do kind of very much a telemedicine-like experience, and we're working together to make that more of a, you know, kind of a 
easier suite of things. Right now, it's it's all visual. We're working on adding, you know, voice or even just like a level simple like a chat box or something so you can keep in contact. Walking right now, usually we're doing cooperation like over Skype, where yeah, I pull up a scan and I'm walking the radiologist through it and saying, "Oh, here, I see a cyst there. Okay, you circle that and we'll circle that together, and we're going to get back to that later and kind of workflow." So we're really trying to see exactly how that that workflow can be improved and to make it so that it's just really much like you know how you feel like you're collaborating on Slack where everyone you feel like you're in the same room and you're communicating and you're sharing stuff and you're really really efficient but really you're actually not in the same room you're just all on Slack together but for some reason on Slack everyone feels like they're all on the same page at all times so that's one of our main goals as well what about the idea of using these scans to diagnose um, better but using machine learning uh, have you guys oh uh, yeah. Yeah, so that's actually like the big kind of like super file unicorn shoot for the moon kind of go. Mm-hmm. But that's something that we're definitely interested in. Um, funny story, one of our um, advisors, uh, he is a radiologist as well as a um, dentist as well. And he's also an assistant professor at the University of Hawaii. He uh, is a kind of a master of uh, morphometrics, which is kind of the study of markers and things like that. Uh, so essentially... Pretty much all you're doing on these medical scans, like as a radiologist or as a medical student even, you're just like placing markers like the whole time you're in our software. Like majority of the time when you're in the software, you'll just be placing markers and writing things down. <laughs> so which is basically Marvel morphometrics. So that's a lot of data points. So yeah, like one scan could have, you know, hundreds of data points on them. Uh, so that's something we could definitely turn into um, using for fuel for machine learning. And to make inferences about, hey, you know, if we know that the length between, you know, your knee and your toe is this long, we know this diagnosis almost like 99% of the time because of this length, it's this diagnosis. And we, if we can come to, you know, a physician or a doctor who's supposed to be about the diagnosis and say, hey, this is the this is the computer's recommendation. This is Radio 3D's 99% recommendation. Pretty much all you have to, a doctor has to do is say, like, yes, I agree, and the diagnosis is done. So the doctor will probably save them a ton of time, and eventually it could even replace them one day. We'll see. I'm not sure how uh, the whole takeover of technology is going to happen, but that could be a thing. <laughs> yeah, especially because it seems like you're describing um, the exact mechanism by which you would teach the machine to learn how to detect these, the whatever now an anomaly you wanted to detect. Um, exactly. So, yeah, it seems like uh, it's a definitely. It seems like a definitely a direction you're gonna go in, and I hope uh, it turns out okay for those doctors. <laughs> question yeah. about yeah. Uh, question about the scanning technology. What is the scanning technology yeah. state look like? And are you guys doing anything to uh, improve it, disrupt it, um, get along with it? What does it look like for you guys? Yeah. So uh, people actually have been getting more medical scans now than ever before. I think it's because the technology is getting cheaper and more accessible. A lot of, you know, a lot of doctors, as you probably know, are kind of old. <laughs> so they're very much old school in the way, they're, the way they operate. And they're like, a lot of people are kind of stuck in their ways. Like, this is my workflow. This is what I wake up and do every day from 9 to 5. And that's what I'm going to do for 50 years. And that's what I want to do. And don't change anything. I don't want to use any more tech things. And <laughs> yeah, just leave me alone. But that's actually changing quite rapidly as you are finding out like yeah like people are want to see their their content or their medical scans in 3d they want that extra you know kind of analysis um, a lot of radiologists are very much 
you know, used to looking at things in, you know, the 2D slices, and that can actually have a benefit when you're kind of measuring certain angles, and we're, we'll probably support that as well. Uh, but we see a huge number of uh, push for the 3D scans. Um, actually, probably the most common one that most people will probably see first is the 3D, the CT cone beam scan, which is the one that can, you, can, you bite down on that kind of funny plastic thing, and <laughs> the machine rotates around your mouth, yeah. kind of like a 180-type degree angle. Um, yeah, that will probably be the most common 3D scan you'll get. A lot of our scans on our platform right now are the kind of dentist scans where like, we can see them like, man, this guy has really messed up teeth. And, <laughs> yeah. Wow. And uh, it's actually really good, though, because it comes out super clean. Um, it's a really high-quality type of scan. It's not that expensive either. Um, yeah, so the costs are going down. I expect to see a lot more people getting scans. It's actually just something that's yeah, very practical to do. It's not something that, like, oh, you know, I've gone, I can't. I mean, you can get, you know, like the, what do you call it, the um, exposure from the scan. It, it can affect you, but that's after, like, thousands and thousands of scans. So as a normal person, you don't have to worry about that. As a radiologist, you don't have to worry about that because, you know, that's your job. But <laughs> as a normal person, you can get many scans you want, and you'll be fine. <laughs> Are you guys um, – so let's say let's say in the future I, I get a scan, and, and I want my, my, my doctor to be able to, like uh, – Use the scan or use the information that the, that comes with the scan, or will mm-hmm. it or will it happen wherein I don't even have a choice? <laughs> you know, the doctor will already be using the scan because that's the best method, anyways. Um, mm-hmm. What do you think would be the the scenario going forward? Because uh, on the one hand, like I'm thinking to myself, okay, so in the future I want to get a scan, and I'm assuming that because this data is volumetric, there's more in there to analyze and it's better visualized oh yeah so it so it's so it's better but like will i have to convince my doctor to like use that data or will it will i end up you know not having a choice will it will you know what path are you guys planning to take is, is sort of what i'm asking mm-hmm. yeah so right now you know when you go to a doctor you get a scan yeah you ask for you know a copy they'll give it to you on a, on a cd drive or a cd-rom uh, which is pretty old school. <laughs> um, they don't even they can't even like email it to you, which is kind of sad. <laughs> most most doctor offices still use CD ROMs, and you have to probably dig out your old laptop and find your DVD and slap it in there. <laughs> but uh, and then from there you can upload the file to Radio3.com. You can do it yourself actually. Um, so, excuse me. So you have that choice. Um, but actually, we, we're working on uh, and later implementation of actually getting implemented straight from the actual. Um, PAC system and medical imaging system themselves. So if the hospital is already hooked up to a PAC system, which most of them are, all their medical imaging and their, all their records and everything, their whole electronic health record system is all already in that PAC system. So if we can kind of hook up and kind of plug into their PAC system, uh, we'll be giving them the Radio 3D support and be working with all the software they used to be working with. And because web, it should be fairly easy to do that. And that's one of the kind of the end goal is to actually work pretty much becoming like their new path system in a way, at least on the hand of sort of handling the storage and the scientific visualization aspects of things. Because right now they pretty much just have the data in a giant system and it's there. <laughs> and I don't know if how many people actually use it because DACOM files are typically very difficult to work with. And mainly only technicians are the people that actually work with these type of data files. Cause it's a lot of, a lot of technical work to, get these scans to look nice and clean and pretty especially in a voxel rendering 
Yeah. So at the end of the day, um, who will end up paying for the scan? Will you guys plan the insurance companies? Will it be cheap enough for just regular individuals to be able to pay for the scans? Um, you know, what do you what will we what will be your angle going forward? Yeah. So we're, right now we're charging the medical schools themselves uh, as a B two B. We're working with you know kind of the admins and the doctors that are leading it uh, for their research or for their classrooms. Uh, but we're also working with the medical clinics as well. So it's another B2B. We're setting it straight to the hospitals themselves and getting into the SaaS. So it'll be a per user, per year type of pricing point. And it's actually, we're, 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 tend, we're leading towards the, um, the value of, of being a very much affordable platform uh, because we do want, you know, that data. And that data, as I mentioned, so is very, very valuable. So we're kind of going after the more kind of easier entry point type of pricing we want everybody to use the software, whether you're a radiologist or a medical student. We don't want this to be like a high barrier type of premium tool that only maybe three or four people from the hospital can use. We want this to be a tool that is used by hundreds of people in the same hospital and, and use that power of data as well as the collaboration aspect of everyone kind of hands-on on this, on this tool and being on the same tool at the same time. What do you foresee to being your, uh, your biggest obstacles going forward? I'd say for the on, the on just my side, Series A is always the the roughest part. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's mainly also my, my responsibility because I'm you know I'm the fundraising uh, co-founder right now, so that's a big part of my job of my day to day is making sure people get paid and we make sure we have that that money to keep going, have that you know feel in the fire. Um, but I also uh, I think there's a lot of kind of uh, it's going to be an interesting timing pool there's a lot of new stuff coming out for medical vr and just a ton of new platforms and new software plugins and all kinds of stuff that are coming out uh some of it's competitive some of it's not and some of it's actually super awesome and can improve our platform and some of it's like huh i'm not sure why that's being invented right now but it's cool (laughs) (laughs) but yeah we'll be i think a different a big challenge is going to be it's just navigating uh the change of the tech right now and it's really going to be a race because there's a lot of people uh, working on 3D volumetric rendering. And there's a lot of people working in the medical space. There's a lot of smart guys at Stanford probably in the back room right now that are, you know, just pouncing on this. It's a really hot space. I mean, it's it's medical, it's VR, it's 3D web. It's a lot of things coming together. It's a really exciting time. So I wouldn't doubt anybody for coming into the space. So we're definitely going to be running as fast as we can in the next year. <laughs> for sure. And where do, you, where do you see your advantages uh, on the competition with respect to the competition? Yeah, so part of this, um, this, this technology being really new is actually really good for us because that means there's not that many people that are experts in this yet. <laughs> I mean, there are people that are, but it's not something um, that you would pick up in college that quickly or pick up from most um, developers really because the 3D 3D volumetric rendering on the web is very very new for one and also I mean just really volumetric rendering on the web in general is yeah through any platform really is pretty new and a lot of this is built off of the web VR stuff so um, people have that drive to like hey I want to run this super awesome powerful VR experience on my phone but my browser sucks, so Google's like, hey, I need to make a browser so this doesn't suck. <laughs> so I'm really glad that Google's pushing that forward, and so is Firefox, Mozilla, and uh, a bunch of other people that are working really, really hard to get WebVR uh, up to where it is now, where we can push a lot of this high-powered quality stuff 
just through Google Chrome, and I don't have to download anything. And all, especially for us, all of our you know our, our giant pipeline of delivering data in, in real time is pretty much dependent on Google Chrome <laughs> right now because it is real time, it is web. So we couldn't do this, you know, five years ago. We probably couldn't even do this two years ago, honestly, with the web being at the state it was. Uh, so that kind of right timing is something that is an advantage for us where, you know, we're literally getting updates, you know, from Google and Mozilla almost like, you know, every quarter now, like, hey, there's a new build, come out. So go test your build on it and make sure nothing broke again. <laughs> so um, it's, it's a bunch of, yeah, it's a bunch of bug fixes and stuff that we have to deal with with updates. But it's also, um, a, you know, kind of a barrier where most technical people probably don't have to deal with this kind of stuff. They're just probably used to building iOS apps, and that's okay, too. Um, but we have a pretty, I'd say we have a pretty diverse team that's somehow actually very uniquely challenged and qualified for this project. Um, we, have, we have two, we have, uh, so we have, we have radiologists on the team. We have Dr. Scott Lozanoff on our team. He's the Department Chair of Anatomy here at the Johnny Byrne School of Medicine at the University of Hawaii. My CTO, uh, McKay Davis, he's been doing uh, professional pro- programming for over 20 years. He's done volumetric rendering. He actually published another uh, project as his kind of senior project coming out of the University of Utah called Sake3D. Uh, Sake3D.org was a very kind of prominent research project working around volumetric rendering. And this will happen that we all happen to be in Hawaii at the same time. And me and my CEO, Jesse, were more on the VR, um, 3D side of things. And, yeah, combined together, it's actually a, we're actually a very robust, strong team. We fill out many of the, the key roles that would need to be ready to run that kind of company like us. And it's pretty difficult to find that type of mix, I think. I think a lot of uh, typical kind of doctor stigmatism, <laughs> actually, is to have a very difficult time commercializing a product. Uh, if you talk to doctors, most times they're really brilliant people, but they just don't understand the business side. They don't really understand kind of the scalability side of things as well. So we're maybe going to make sure that we are that team of doctors that takes things outside of the lab instead of just keeping it in the lab for the next 30 years. <laughs> yeah. What is the what is your sort of branding and marketing strategy look like in terms of getting the doctors, you know, on board? Yeah, so most of our, our, our early uh, private beta users are our colleagues, are my, uh, my chief science officer, Dr. Scott Lozanoff. And mm-hmm. uh, he has uh, quite a few connections because he's been around for a while. He's been at the Mets, been uh, in the space for over 30 years. He has very close contacts with um, Ohio State, which where he's, he graduated from college from, uh, he's, as well as the University of Heidelberg. So we're crossing some borders already, going to different countries. <laughs> And Hotbugs uh, is in Germany, by the way, if you guys don't know. And um, there is also um, quite a bit of other um, colleagues we're collaborating with at uh, Case Western Reserve. We're looking forward to working with them. Um, they're really excited about what we're doing as well. And uh, we they actually have a pretty big dentist school there, which we're ex- excited about because we can get a ton of those CT combing scans we talked about earlier. <laughs> That's awesome. You know, I in terms of... Um marketing uh i had a friend who once said um if there's anyone that doctors listen to more it's other doctors so (laughs) yeah exactly it it makes sense to yeah definitely have you know one of your colleagues uh reach out and 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 talk and talk to his colleagues um so let me sort of switch 
gears and, and move in a different direction. I want to talk to you just about the overall state of the VR industry today um, and see what your thoughts and insights look like. Um, so let me ask you really quick about the latest sales figures from Sony, wherein they just sold 2 million PSVRs. Um, and that set said far and above the Rift and the Vive at this point, and uh, yeah. <laughs> which were probably sold anywhere between 500,000 to 600,000 units by now each. Um, Sounds about right, yeah. So, so what do you think about these sales numbers, and what do you think about what's going on you know, in the, with, with the VR industry's trajectory? Yeah, that's pretty interesting for me, but I'm actually totally not surprised at all, as a lot of people... Well, I well, yeah, we we know this. Uh, you know, running VR from a desktop is not the easiest thing to do. <laughs> so I can see why people are going for that easy kind of just kind of plug in the plug in your wall and go type of model with the PSVR. And of course, we all know that gaming is the driving content for VR in the first instance. And I, I think people in you know a couple of years ago they kind of over yeah overestimated how big um, the VR gaming market was going to be and they're like oh it's just gonna it's gonna come in 2016 it's gonna just be here all at once and it's gonna hit us like smack in the face like out of nowhere but we all know that it's, it's all kind of going towards that slow steady rise instead of that boom in your face kind of growth um so yeah i'm actually not surprised at all <laughs> that the psvr is going it's going the way it's going um that's yeah i know i do see that medical content is driving a lot of uh vr adoption as well but I can see that being a much kind of later, later play as gaming is still the driving force, and that's expected, and everyone kind of knew that coming in. So, yeah, it's going to be exciting, and I'll hope a lot of people get more of them for Christmas. <laughs> in in your mind, it, what would be the ideal ratio, or what do you, not the ideal, but what is your prediction in terms of, or your estimation, as for what percentage of people are going to be buying VR headsets or, VR, or mixed reality equipment? Um, for healthcare purposes. Oh, sorry. Can you? Can you I'll say that again. Question is: What do you? What percentage of people do you estimate will um, be buying mixed reality equipment like VR headsets, like the Z Space, yeah. um, for just uh, just just medical purposes? Yeah. So we're working pretty closely with Z Space right now, and uh, they're they're actually the the leader for VR and AR in education space. Uh, they're by far the category winner in VR and AR education hardware. They got that under control. <laughs> they're going into medical education right now, and they're beefing up their shelves for us to do that. And we're planning to work really closely with that source to help reach that market with them as part of our go-to-market strategy as well. Um, so I'd say ZSpace is going to be that, that next tool that people buy for medical education for medical purposes. We, are, we have about five of them in our med school already at the University of Hawaii are not that rich of a school. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm assuring all the Ivy League schools could probably buy like 300 of them if they wanted to. Uh, the key thing about that is that um, they are quite big, though, so they do take up quite a bit of space sometimes. So it's a little more space than your, your Rift would. Um, but, yeah, uh, schools are buying whole labs of them. We've talked to schools in California that are they have labs of like 30 or 40 or 50 of these, these space machines. And I see that just increasingly and growing. And actually, I think ZSpace actually won an award. I think this was in 20, 
May fifteen or twenty sixteen. Uh, we can look this up later. But they're on the they're on the Forbes list for one of the fastest growing companies in America. And I think, if I remember correctly, they're the only VR company on that Forbes five hundred list of fastest growing companies. So they're probably the fastest growing VR company as well. <laughs> well, I hope they do well. Um, but I don't think I've heard very much about Z Space in my bubble, and I and I wish I knew more. I think it might well, yeah. be because I'm it's more. Been- been paying attention to the gaming side of things lately when, when it comes to vr um so maybe i've missed out on, on on z space but they're like they're in my backyard i know where they are like they're in sunnyvale i think or, or somewhere near yeah the they're in sunnyvale yeah yeah they're in sunnyvale exactly it's, it's weird thing because like i'm saying with you like i before before working with z space we never knew they existed <laughs> and i've been in vr pretty long ago but um yeah it's weird um like z space is like kind of like that that what do you call it kind of like a secret kind of thing but when you look at them it's like huh they're actually a really big company like <laughs> this is this company could probably get acquired really soon because they're actually a really late stage company and uh, yeah it's weird though like you they, I don't know if their their PR people are I don't, know, I don't know what kind of angle they're trying to take on their marketing game but yeah they're, they're selling things but no one tends to really know about it yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. People like me and you don't really know about it, and we're pretty involved in the space. <laughs> yeah, I've tried it a few times. I liked it. I'm not gonna lie; it's it's dope. Um, but uh, but I also wonder um, if there will be a clash between Z Space and whatever Apple AR headset comes out in 2019, um, because you know what what I can do in Z Space, couldn't I do it with a AR HMD as well? at some point in the future so i wonder if z space thinking oh, yeah. about that long-term play as well yeah i i think um yeah i mean i i see z space as a very interim type of technology where we're kind of in the middle phase right now between you know having a desktop and having a vr experience and z space is kind of a nice trade-off for you you getting both where it's still a desktop you still have your hands you know you I think a, a really good part of the tech itself is the uh, the 3D pen, uh, because typically it's you know, it's a very easy kind of UI, um, just very much as you know Oculus needs touch controllers, Z Space really needs that pen. So uh, that pen is very much something that um, as a as a med student or a radiologist, it's something that you're kind of used to using, kind of slice through different models and things like that. It's an interface that you don't have to tell them how to use it; they just pick it up and like, oh, of course, I know how to use a pen. So, you know, <laughs> so that's definitely a big benefit for them. Um, but I do think that, yeah, they they are impeding that they are they had their they're in a period where it's an inter technology. They see where you know Apple and all the other big companies are going, and I'm sure they're they're hacking on something in their in their secret black box of labs mm-hmm. down in Sunnyvale. Uh, can can't wait to unleash it soon. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Sweet, sweet, sweet. So, are you doing any VR gaming lately? Are you distracting your mind with you know uh, gifts <laughs> given by the simulation? Um, not too much. Um, I've I go in and out sometimes. Um, of course, Tobrush is still my favorite. It's probably will be for a very long time. Uh, I'm, I'm probably more of the uh, of the kind of the more creative stuff than the gaming stuff. Something for the gaming stuff, I get really competitive though. So when I if you guys don't know me, I'm a very competitive person. So when I get into things, I, I kind of have to win, or else I won't give up until I do win. <laughs> so, so if I go into to these these VR games and I I want them to be like, yeah, I'm gonna get in. I'm really gonna get in. I'm gonna spend like, you know, ridiculous amount of hours per day to be like the best I can at it. And 
that may not be the best for my work schedule. <laughs> so I'm playing less than I would like to. Well, next time you're at my place, um, I challenge you to a game of Mario Kart. Um, I Not game think, on. <laughs> I think um, I, I think it's going to be a good one, but I don't know if you can see me um, on that racetrack. It's going to be it's going to be <laughs> it's going to be an epic epic race. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> Racing games and fighting games are probably my favorites. So I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> What's your favorite uh, fighting game? Um, let's see. Melee is probably my best game as far as just pure fighting games in general. Street Fighter is also one of my favorites too, but I think Melee is probably the most competitive. How good did you get at, at Smash Bros. Melee? Uh, hmm. I was never at the level where I could be like professional or anything. Okay. So I have friends that are actually really like, yeah, like they go to Evo and stuff, and they yeah they destroy people. <laughs> but um, yeah, they're they're like Street Fighter gods, and yeah. But, um, <laughs> Holy shit! There's actually yeah. There's actually a really big community of Street Fighter and melee um, players in Hawaii, surprisingly. I'm not sure why, but yeah, there's a bunch of us here, and we all meet up quite a bit, and we play. Uh, I haven't been playing with them in a while, but some of them are, yeah, they're pretty damn good. They, I can barely touch those guys. <laughs> but I think I, I can keep up. I, yeah? Okay. I was going to ask you, like, does rubbing shoulders with those giants, does that, like, you know, also make you Super Saiyan? <laughs> it, I think it helps a lot. Um, they, they, they give me really good tips, of course, and, you know, we... We kind of jaw back and forth about, but you know, which which style is the best, and then, you know, um, which combo you should use at certain times. Because it's always a debate. You know, that's the good thing about these games, where it's like there's no like perfect way to play this game. It's always like a debate of like, oh, okay, is that actually the right move to do when you're in the spot, or should you do this move, or should you be using another character and backing up another another kind of area area of the stage, and you can reset yourself and all these kind. Of, yeah. It's, it's a lot of thinking, a lot of different scenarios, which I like, and <laughs> which, it's uh, it's good fun. But I wouldn't do it for money. <laughs> yeah, well, it would be a lot of pressure. That's for sure. Doing mm-hmm. playing video games for money. I mean that, and especially competitive video games. I mean the 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 anxiety that that would give me would be too much. Honestly, um, <laughs> what, what was your favorite character in Smash Bros. Melee? Uh, I use Link primarily. Link and Fox. Nice, Link and Fox. I use- uh, yeah. <laughs> I I use Pikachu and Link mostly, um, but Pikachu's yeah. Pikachu's the troll for me. I use only Pikachu when I want to troll on people. <laughs> <laughs> that was yeah. That's, it feels so bad because it feels I so was bad. yes. That, yeah. You figured out yeah. my strategy. That was I was. Oh man, I got away with such yeah such nasty gameplay out of out of that Pikachu. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Smash Smash Brothers Bailey was a good time. Um, what did you think about? But did you stop there, or did you continue on playing Brawl? And um, was there another one after Brawl? Yeah, there was one, right? Um, yeah, yeah. There's a bunch of them now. I haven't really been keeping up with them, uh, mainly because actually they got less competitive. Like most of the, I don't know if this is like a standard thing, but I feel like most players that are competitive they stick to melee because the game is built to be more competitive. Like it's actually really easy to be good at Brawl. <laughs> like. You're right. Like I'm not sure what it is about like being like the slower of the movement, something like that. But brawl is like, yeah, it's really easy. Like it's not that I don't know if it's like less strategy or the exact mechanics of it, but the way they built the game, it was built for like a more like child kind of friendly audience, not like this super competitive badass game that melee was. <laughs> no, I think you're right. It's definitely a brawl is definitely not up to par with melee in terms of the speed uh, at which it plays. Um, yeah, 
And so, yeah, I had so many good, so, so many good times playing that game. Hours of my teenagehood went went into playing melee. Um, God, <laughs> and I hated Kirby. Kirby can suck it, dude. God, <laughs> fuck Kirby. <laughs> Kirby and Ness can go fuck themselves. I hated them. Oh yeah, yeah. I don't like Ness either. Um, yeah. <laughs> favorite move was the fal- Falcon Punch. No one could land a Falcon Punch. That was the thing. Oh yeah. Unless you were like real, unless you were good, unless you were god, like a evil god or something. I, I don't. I don't know. I've never played one of those guys, but like I could. I've never found someone that could land the fucking punch and use it properly. No, like yeah, nothing. Yeah, most of our players, yeah, they don't really use. Yeah, I don't know actually anyone in Hawaii that uses Captain Falcon as their main player. There's a lot of links. There's a lot, a lot of links here. <laughs> what, a lot uh, of sheets too. What yeah. other video games did you grow up on? Um, let's see. What was the first thing I got hooked on? I mean, of course, I play a lot of, play a lot of Pokemon, as most Asian people do. <laughs> <laughs> Spent a lot of life that, but, uh, let's see. What else was it? Oh, man. It's been a I, I know, actually, Street Fighter was actually one of the first games I ever played, actually, in my life. On the really? Super old, yeah, was that Super NES or N64 was. Um, super cruddy graphics back then, but, of course, for us, it was amazing. We didn't know any better, but... <laughs> For sure, yeah. The things we take for granted now—these these super high-end, crazy fucking graphics—that would melt your face if you had gone into a time machine back in 1990 oh, and gosh. saw what we. I mean, if you looked at Horizon Zero Dawn or um, what's another really good graphics game? Uh, Horizon is really, really pretty. Um, the Uncharted series are always good-looking games, um, man. But I don't think we have a a crisis kind of game anymore like in today's day like like you, you yeah. remember the whole meme about crisis like i don't think we have a a, a version of that <laughs> right now like yeah they could run it yeah but can it run crisis no we don't have that i wish no. we had that again <laughs> <laughs> i mean we just got that new gpu that nvidia announced today that giant titan thing that costs like three grand or something like that Jesus. so yeah i think i just came out i just saw an article on facebook about it damn that thing is huge probably weighs like 50 pounds but you know <laughs> what do you, you want to do with this thing simulate a universe like uh, slow down yeah. nvidia slow down i'm not ready to enter the simulation yet or accept that i already am in one no i accepted it did you accept that you're in a simulation yet or are you still in denial uh, i'm kind of on the edge i feel like we had this talk before <laughs> yeah but I'm, I'm still on the edge where it is weird though like i i have these weird connections in my life where it's like oh that was very convenient, almost like, you know, too convenient. <laughs> and I'm not sure if it's like, a, huh, I'm just like really in the right place at the right time. Or it's like, huh, there's, kind of, there's like a, you know, there's kind of like a string puller here, you know? You know, you ever had that feeling? I've definitely had that feeling. I know exactly what you're talking about. And um, <laughs> they call it the true man syndrome. Um, mm. No, no, I, I actually... It might have to do with that. I actually feel like I, I have a version of that Truman syndrome. Like it's that you know. Do you remember the Truman Show, the, the movie with Jim Carrey? Um, it was a movie back in the day when Jim Carrey was the star of his own reality show, and he didn't even know about it. Like like everyone was on the joke except for him. All his life, all his fucking life, everyone was fake. <laughs> everyone he knew was 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 wasn't real. They were all actors. Um, 
And so he started, you know, little by little, he started realizing that, like, what the fuck? Like, you know, everybody's in on some sort of joke or things feel kind of weird, kind of yeah. awkward. Yeah. Um, and so even after, so after that movie got released, you know, people, psychologists started uh, seeing more and more people coming in with these kinds of cases where they thought that, like, there was yeah. sort of like a, something didn't feel right. It's an overarching sort of like feeling like you're, like the, like, like there's something wrong with your simulation basically and and it might you might even be feel like you're being watched some some at some in some cases um so that was so that was weird but no no i i don't know i feel like i get that i feel like i know exactly what you mean it might you know what it might be it might be the fact that um google voice is actively listening to you or amazon is active actively uh-huh. listening to you and so you might have said to yourself Man, I wonder how good that Guardians of the Galaxy movie is, and all of a sudden you get an ad for that. <laughs> I feel like that's that's probably what it all is, you know. We're just being paranoid. It could be. <laughs> my, my my Facebook ads sometimes are like extremely specific. Like, I, like they'll send me an ad for like, oh, do you want you know this like this customized jacket of like half Pittsburgh Steelers stuff, half like kind of like Hawaii sticker. And the other sleeve looks like it's like a Marvel themed type of sleeves patches on. I'm like, damn, that's really specific. I didn't even made a jacket like that. That's badass. But yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. it's like, huh, they know a lot about me. Facebook. <laughs> they know a team I am. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, social media advertising today is like on the on the creepy scale sort of sort of era. <laughs> like it's a little. Yeah. Like it's a little too much too much info, and and the fact that they you know it's it's all information that you're giving up in the first place anyways all your likes all the groups you go attend to all the meetings all all that stuff is being tracked and they like find ways to inference and sell you products off of that little by little i i, I started realizing uh, that these tools are basically what the cia and the best you know intelligence agencies would have creamed their pants to have you know like you have <laughs> so much information back like back then you know that that would have been a treasure trove but who knows what tools they have now um if facebook just became the cia they just like hey cia your your, your your job is done we're hiring facebook now because they have more stuff <laughs> wait i thought they were the same what no <laughs> and the other the other thing about it is that like it's it's so easy to manipulate masses like like i i'm i, I could make this i could probably make this bet with you if you give me enough of a budget i can probably in Two years, I can turn all of Latin America pro marijuana just by throwing ads at them little by little. Watch if with enough budget, I could manipulate like uh, the that whole population. If if because you, I think we had this talk before. Yeah, we we, we, I think we agreed that we could. (laughs) Yeah, we did, and 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 it's creepy. And the fact that there's people out there who know that and they're using it to their advantage. Um, not for good yeah. is is yeah. is kind of a a hard pill to swallow. But reality is what reality is, or so says the simulation. <laughs> yeah, we'll see how that that influences um, Facebook's virtual worlds as well. They're really like, yeah, can you imagine if they have all the data? They're in the virtual world. I'm sure they're going to use it some way. <laughs> yeah. Well, so. they, they got in trouble. Like they like was it like a couple of weeks ago. They this like their lawyers and some some heads uh, head executives went up to Congress and they had to like 
talk to them about like uh oh yeah the whole russia thing influencing the election uh, yeah that's my yeah. our bad <laughs> like yeah 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 it's crazy it's it's a, it's a crazy time to be alive honestly and i don't even know who to believe sometimes um oh yeah yeah how are you managing your information overload these days <laughs> that's a interesting huh that's a good question yeah i try to Hmm. I try, I try to get my, my information from many different sources, for one. Um, I, I like to you know, read different opinions and not just kind of hear one side of the story. I want to hear That's all the sides of the story and try to get a full, kind of complete opinion before I start, you know, really digesting it and taking an opinion of my own on it. Um, so I guess that kind of helps me with the, uh, with just kind of the sourcing of it, but the overload part of it, uh, it's... I don't really know how I do it. <laughs> I mean, I'm just, I'm good at skimming, I know that, but <laughs> it's, uh, I mean, I don't really feel overwhelmed, though, actually. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, even, yeah, so I, maybe, that, maybe, maybe that's why I have a hard time answering this question, is because I don't really feel the overload. <laughs> do you, how, how often do you find yourself checking, like, Reddit or checking um, your Coinbase account? <laughs> I've, uh, let's see probably more Coinbase account than Reddit nowadays but yeah. <laughs> uh, let's see I probably at least you know five times a day at the minimum yeah. Um, but yeah it, there's actually I actually have a ton of um, friends in Hawaii that are pretty big holders of Bitcoin and we actually had a pretty funny um, conversation yesterday as uh, it was actually my one year anniversary for our company yesterday right, <laughs> so congratulations. we're having a one year thank you yeah. we had our one year anniversary so happy anniversary to us and uh, yes, we had we had our lunch yesterday, and we got together, and we we're talking story about how when, um, our our group of friends, we all we all were kind of we all work out of the same um, hacker space together, and we a lot of us held Bitcoin yeah, a couple of years ago, and I'm pretty sure they're still holders now. <laughs> and we're like, huh, you know, like our friend, um, yeah, he, when when did he get into Bitcoin? We're like, yeah, it's been a while. Like, wait, do you remember how much he bought? Like, he actually got like you know, contracts of paychecks in Bitcoin before, like, holy shoot. And we're, like, doing the math of, like, how much our friends are worth now. Like, damn, our friends are, like, worth, like, $100 million now. Holy smokes. Like, are you like, serious? Yeah, yeah, we might have friends that are, like, yeah, like, they they jump the rankings to be, like, maybe one of the people in Hawaii pretty soon, like, just because of Bitcoin. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah, it was, like, a weird, like, realization of, like, wait, is that math correct? Like, so technically, if he bought then and he bought this amount of coin, and if he sold, say, yesterday, for example, he would make calculator. I was like, holy crap, it's a lot of money. You know? <laughs> like, yeah. Damn, dude. That's yeah. The the I'm having a hard time comprehending what's going on in the world of cryptos, especially with with the price of Bitcoin going the way it is. It's like it, there's a whole system. There's a whole architecture of knowledge that underlies that underlies what's going on and i'm barely capable of scratching the surface of of why it ha why why this is happening and how it's happening and you know i yeah i'm still but i'm gonna hold that's for sure <laughs> oh yeah definitely uh, yeah i have so many friends that have been like bombarding me about questions about building mining rigs and all kind of stuff. I'm like, okay, this is what we're doing now. All right. Like, nobody even cares about stocks anymore. We're just talking about mining rigs now. Who cares about stocks anymore? <laughs> but, man, it's just, it's it's crazy. You know, did you ever think about getting into mining? Or when did you first start hearing about Bitcoin? When was the first time 
that are like that went into your radar? Uh, it's a funny story, actually. My, my current CTO, McKay Davis, he actually started the first uh, Bitcoin meetup group in Hawaii, and he needed you know a room to to rent in order to have a venue for his meetup, uh-huh. and um, he wanted he wanted to get a, a room at the University of Hawaii. It just so happened uh, that he got my email somehow. This was like a while ago, like maybe like four years ago. Uh, when I didn't know him, he just sent me like a cold email saying, "Hey, I'm, I'm okay. I want to host an event in UH. Can you help me get a room?" And I was involved with the entrepreneurship club back then, so that's probably why he had my email. I was like, "Yeah, sure. I don't know what this Bitcoin thing is, but yeah, you want you want a room at the university? I can get you a room to rent, and uh, I'm, we're a club on campus, so it's free for us that we're students, and that's one of the services they provide for us." He's like, "Oh, great. Okay, cool." And so I met up with him, and uh, yeah, that was, that was the first time he ever told me about Bitcoin. And I was like, "Huh." So that's what that weird ATM-looking machine is that I see in our office is for. <laughs> and I don't understand because, you know, it's just like, huh, QR code, cool. How does that equal, you know, money in any way? But, you know, so, yeah, that was, that was the first realization. It's like a lot of what questions. And, yeah, then I, eventually I went through, you know, Boost VC, which is a very, uh, very well-known for being the Bitcoin accelerator of the world and being one of the best Bitcoin, probably, yeah, probably the best Bitcoin accelerator actually in the world um, with Adam Draper and the rest of those guys there, uh, they've been super into Bitcoin from pretty much day one almost. And I'm pretty sure Adam is like prancing around doing happy dancing every day when Bitcoin goes up. So, <laughs> Yeah, like with that amount of money, why work anymore? Like, <laughs> yeah, like yeah. you're someone, someone did a, a someone did the math. I'm terrible, ter- really, really, really bad at math. And I'm about to embarrass myself. Um, someone was like, if you had bought a million Bitcoin, Back in the day, yeah. you could have bought a million Bitcoin for not that much. Oh, yeah. Today, you would have yeah. a trillion dollars or something like oh, that. Shit. What the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> That's insane. Yeah, they're like, they're 17 year old. Like, they're, yeah, they're like super young as millionaires now because of Bitcoin. Like, I don't know what, how they stumbled across it in their 17 year old lives, but there are a lot of like really young, really rich people now because of that. <laughs> yeah. You know what excites me, like, though? Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. I, know, I was gonna say like the us, us like the millennials might have some competition coming up from the next like young aspirant generation that just happened up in the Bitcoin. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! No, you know you you probably uh, I was reading an article that said that the millennial generation will be the most impoverished or not impoverished but like. Basically, yeah, the the most poor generation since you know the Great Depression or something like that. Um, well, like we're not like because of our mostly. I think it's student loans and the recession that fucked it up for us. Oh right, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> but I was gonna say the most. Exci- I think the thing that excites me um, about blockchain is not necessarily the blockchain it, itself, although it is fucking um, you know, world changing. Um, I think. That the intersection of blockchain and mixed reality, virtual reality, is where it's really going to take off and, and, and reach, you know, new heights of mass adoption that we haven't seen before. Because the thing about oh, yeah. Bitcoin yeah. is that it's, a, an ab- I think it's an abstract technology, kind of like money is abstract. The thing about money that made it go from abstraction to less abstraction was the fact that you started using, like, v- objects, and then it evolved yeah. into paper notes that represented stuff. 
And the thing about Bitcoin is that like QR codes are cool and these really long addresses are like, okay, but like my grandma doesn't get that. <laughs> she, yeah. She's sure as fuck isn't going to like hop on board at that point. But if you were exactly. able to provide no, tools that just like Radio 3D, like that visualize the blockchain in an intuitive way. Um, for people to get in there like holy shit if someone is listening to this have this idea for free make it happen please now oh yeah because actually funny thing man I can't believe you, no joke like literally like four days ago my grandma actually just like she I wake up one morning and she's like I have a question for you I'm like okay <laughs> what's up she's like what, what can you tell me about this thing called Bitcoin? I'm like, oh no, <laughs> what's happening? What is happening? Our grandma really just asked me that question. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Does she want to buy? Does she want to get in some Bitcoin? Maybe. I mean, she's a very active investor. So she's she's a she's an investor in gold. Like most Chinese people, like mm -hmm. all of her money's in gold. I don't know why. It's, it's what we do. We Chinese, we buy gold. Yeah. <laughs> so if I can explain to her, like it's kind of like gold, where it's like. You know, buying representation of yeah, I don't know, I, I don't even know how to explain that to her, honestly. <laughs> but we'll see. <laughs> I wouldn't even know how to explain it to myself, honestly, because it's still you know, I ha I've read the white papers, and I'm still like, why is it not clicking to me? Like it, it I, I, like it, like I get it on the high level. On, on a high level, I get what's going on, but just going deeper into the lower level stuff is just too deep. It's too, it's too, and it's not um sort of like beginner friendly you know so oh, it's not it's not beginner friendly at all um i had a friend that told me um you know everyone i was asking like oh should i invest in bitcoin and he said you should invest as much as you understand um into bitcoin so if you under, if you only understand you know 10% about bitcoin invest 10% of your assets in, into bitcoin if you understand 30% of Bitcoin, invest 30% of your income into Bitcoin. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, I think that's a pretty interesting rule of thumb. <laughs> Think, thankfully, I understand 80% of Bitcoin, so I can put 80% of everything I have into it. <laughs> gonna throw it all in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's... And live, live or die by the ship. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm sure there's people out there, though, who are, who are going all in on Bitcoin. And that must be... Um, just plain plain scary to say the least you know like it's w w just a roller coaster of emotion every day you know <laughs> it's up oh it's my down goodness. it's that up it's down oh my god it's so high now oh no it's crashing like every day it's oh gosh yeah i think i have, I have like a heart attack every day <laughs> <laughs> but you would hold. like half my house would be full of like party balloons and the half of the house would be like holes in the wall and you know <laughs> yeah i despite that i would still hold Despite the roller coaster. Oh yeah, oh um, yeah. Because you know what they, yeah. what what they, what I read was, um, and this might be completely out of my ass. Okay, so so piece yourself. What I read was um, a medium blog post by someone that said that um, Bitcoin's valuation can reach all the way to twenty one million. Um, oh my goodness! Like, like even more than that. Like it could go even higher than that. Um, that would be insane. That would be. That would, I don't know. I don't know. At some point, some government is going to step in and say, "Okay, slow down." All right. Or could they? I don't even know anymore. I don't know what's going on. Yeah. Uh, I was honestly surprised they even hit 12k. I was shocked when it hit 12k. Well, now it's at. I was like 16k. 
Yeah, I thought the bubble was going to burst after 12. It's like, okay, good job, guys. We hit 12. Cool. <laughs> now let's go back to normal. But nope, that didn't happen. <laughs> yeah. I remember when it was 200. That's when I really yeah. started paying yeah. attention when it was 200. And I was like, okay, this is this is weird. <laughs> this, how, how is this valuable again? And then, you know, and then you find out. That... Was... But honestly, interesting. Oh man, Bitcoin is cool. <laughs> but you know where it's really the future is at? It's going to be in CryptoKitties. Have you heard about? Oh yeah, yet? yes, yes. That's great. <laughs> Good job, <Ned. laughs> This is what the internet was created for—to make decentralized, uh, exactly cat virtual cat trading platforms. Um, someone paid. Someone said. So I read. Uh, I saw a headline that said that someone paid um, ten thousand dollars for a crypto kitty, the equivalent of ten thousand dollars. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that's intense. I mean, I know people buy a lot of like expensive virtual goods now, but oh, oh crap. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. At the end of the day, it's I actually. Just... Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh man, uh, I was gonna say, um, one of my my CEO is actually a um, he's he's a beta user for Project Sansar, uh, the new high fidelity experience, and um, he actually made this this really really expensive mystery box. And it cost like $10,000 or something like that to open this box. But no one knows it's in the box. Only he knows it's in the box. So I'm not going to ruin it just in case anyone has to buy this box. But it's a $10,000 mystery box. In virtual reality. (laughs) Yeah, in virtual reality. And it's just something that he made like, you know, super quick probably. Um, He's my background about him. He's a really good content creator. He was one of the early adopters of Second Life, though he's continuing on with Project Sansar. Um, just trying trying out with the content creation side, and he's he'll, he probably gives Sansar some pretty good strong feedback of as a content creator, like how to improve their ecosystem and things like that. <laughs> but yeah, it's just a box, and it's in VR, and people are gonna are actually willing to spend ten grand on it. Like Jesse, are you serious? It's like yeah, people do these kind of things in, in VR now. Like great, <laughs> wow. just for a box though. They're even in the box. It's like it's not even a big box, is it? Like <laughs> you know. <laughs> Hey, you know what? Penny in there for all they know, you know. Like, yeah, you you fail a hundred percent of the shots you don't take. So this is this is your friend taking that shot. (laughs) Yeah, making this ten thousand dollar mystery box. Yeah, it's the box with question mark on it. So, yeah. You know that 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 brings me that brings to mind sort of the last subject before we bring things to a close. You know, social VR and the introduction of blockchain is something that fascinates me. Um, yeah. Just because of all the different use cases and the adoption at which it's being in uh, the adoption rate, honestly, because high fidelity's in on the game, Sansar's in on the game. Um, I heard other platforms that I'm not allowed to say are in on the game. That's really exciting. Oh, yeah. I really like the fact that they're going to incorporate um, an aspect of social VR because that would lead, hopefully, to the next version of you know eBay, you know where you're trading peer to peer but in virtual reality using blockchain. Um, that would be dope. Oh yeah, I mean we 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 went to that talk together, right, in San Francisco yeah. with that that Coinbase founder and that lady from High Fidelity was there too. Yep. <laughs> and it was interesting, like, oh, High Fidelity and Bitcoin. This could actually be a very good marriage if you guys worked that out correctly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we actually had a really good thought of it, like, huh, actually it could work really well if they implement this the right way. Um, but the question is for us is, you know, are, is everyone going to make their own coin or are we all going to use the same coin? Yeah. 
<laughs> or is Facebook going to make their own Facebook coin? And you yeah, know, exactly. Google's going to make their yeah. own Google coin. And, you know, I, the whole... It sounds like everyone wants their own coin. Yeah. Well, I'm going to make a coin, too. It's going to be called Eevee coin based on <laughs> <laughs> based on the dog. Uh, yeah. um, but, Evan, it's been a pleasure. Uh, and truly, you, sir, are a scholar and gentleman of virtual reality. Uh, how can I help you help others spread the word of what's going on with what you guys are doing these days? Hmm. Yeah, you can just check out our website at Radio3.com or if you want to reach out to me personally, I'm happy to just grab a cup of coffee and talk story with pretty much anyone in the VR space or anyone interested in talking about medical for VR and not even in the VR space yet. I'm happy to sit down with you and talk you through that kind of change that's happening right now with all the new technologies and platforms coming out. Uh, so if you ever want to contact me, it's just Evan, E-V-A-N, at Radio3D.com. And, yeah, you check out our website. The web updates are coming really soon. And we're super stoked for this next kind of wave of technology and VR and craziness with blockchain happening. And it's going to be an interesting here. Yeah, you know that, Chris. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's going to be insane. Uh, well, thanks, thanks again for your time. Really appreciate it. And I'll catch you uh, sometime soon on your version or my version of the simulation. Oh, yeah. <laughs> hopefully, it's, hopefully it's a combination of the versions, maybe, but we'll see. <laughs> <laughs>